to a scholarly meeting. Uh, I'm Hazel. I'm here with Dr. Braun. She is a program director for the Masters in Bioethics um, here at Loma Linda University and an assistant professor of ethics. Uh, also, she graduated from La Sierra University with her bachelor's in history and political science. And then she finished a master's in biomedical and clinical ethics and a master's in public health from Loma Linda University as well, followed by a PhD of philosophy in theology, ethics, and culture from Claremont Graduate University. Dr. Braun's research um, has focused on religious suicide, including the Jain practice of Salikana. Is that how you say it? Salikana. Salikana. Wow. And the Parsi practice of, I Dokmanishini. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she's also published and presented at conferences on American prison system in regard to the death penalty and organ donation. Dr. Braun's latest research focuses on the ethics of genetic testing protocols for embryos. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you for being with, with us, Dr. Braun. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So today we're going to be talking about um, the ethics of religious suicide, and which is um, mostly practiced in the Jain faith or religion. Um, would you be able to tell us a little more about just what it is and give us some background? Sure. Um, so I did not know what Salekana uh, was until 2006, and uh, what it, what uh, what transpired was I, I was in India. I was doing my master's in public health, and I was doing my my research in India, and while I was there, I was staying with the Jain community, mm-hmm. and uh, one evening I got invited to go to a birthday party for an 80-year-old man, and at this man's birthday party, he announced that he was going to be taking the vow of Salekana. Now, I mean, he seemed perfectly healthy, and I, and I also didn't know what the vow of Salekana was, mm-hmm. and then it later got explained to me that essentially in the, in the Jain belief system, uh, when you reach a point where you feel that you've sort of achieved everything that you want to achieve in life mm-hmm. um, and that you're just going to be declining from this point on. Um, you take this vow of Salekana and you gradually wean yourself, you, sorry, you gradually wean yourself off food and water. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, you ultimately, you sort of induce your own death, but Janes are really, really um, wary of it being called suicide. Mm-hmm. The Janes get really touchy about that and they say, well, no, 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 suicide implies you shot yourself in the head or you used a rope or there was some sort of like really, you know, volatile emotions that under, you know, undergirded your, your decision to do this. They said, no, this is just a gradual withdrawal from life because mm. we all have to die. And this is just sort of easing into it. Mm. Um, but I was really fascinated by this because this, this particular man that, that made me aware of Salekana um, was a very, very wealthy individual. Um, I mean, like a one percenter, I mean, an incredibly wow. wealthy man in India um, his birthday was at this big hotel. I mean, this was this was not a small affair. Janes, by and large, tend to either be extremely wealthy or extremely poor. Mm. They either are incredibly successful financially or they take vows of poverty. And then the poverty is by choice. Like, you don't really mm. have a, a middle, middle class, ground. per se. And so it was just very interesting to me to see these very, very wealthy individuals saying, oh, well, you know, he, I'm going to take it. Well, I'm going to take it. Well, I'm going to, you know, that this was just 
what they did. This mm-hmm. is with what they did in their religion. And for me, that was especially sort of an odd time because 2006 was kind of right on the heels of like like a few years before had been the Terry Schiavo case, uh, which had made headlines for, you know, this woman who's in a persistent vegetative state mm-hmm. for 15 years and everyone's fighting to keep her alive and some people are fighting to let her go. And I had just come off my clinical ethics rotation in the hospital and, you know, that was sort of a, a kind of a point, at least the mid-2000s in medicine where you were just putting everything you could into keeping people alive it seemed like to me so it was just so odd for me to go and encounter this entire cultural subgroup that's like well when we reach the point that we feel like we've sort of maximized our our sort of purpose on this earth we we just exit life wow that's that's honestly the first that i'm hearing of that and it's very interesting to me um what are the things that so in the situations where someone decides to take Mm -hmm. the vow of salikana what are what are some factors that influence that decision? Um, yeah, so that's really that's a really good question. So in this particular man's case, he was eighty, um, and his decision was just based on the fact that he felt he'd achieved what he wanted to achieve in life, and his hearing and his eyesight and things were just all starting to diminish. Which you know, I mean, naturally, it's going to happen with age. Yeah. And so he said, you know, eighty's a good run, essentially. <laughs> and so rather than fighting to stay alive, you know, and struggling. He said, I'm just going to start weaning myself off of life and and withdrawing and letting go. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a theological reason they do it. And I'm almost hesitant to use the word theology because uh, Jains are, they don't believe in God per se, right? It's it's a karmic-based system. So Mm -hmm. it's very mathematical. So anything that that happens in this life Mm -hmm. that's good or bad is the direct result of good or bad actions that you did in previous lives. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, it's like a mathematical equation for them. So if they've sort of reached the apex of their sort of uh, existence, right, and they've, they've, they've achieved and they've succeeded, and now their body is starting to fail them, mm-hmm. they feel like the best thing to do is to start purging their body of karma. And the way to do that is to not engage in anything that's an act of violence. So, mm-hmm. so Jane's believe that karma isn't like, like, like we kind of say, like what we use the word term, like what goes around comes around, yeah. to kind of like imply karma. But, but, but that's actually not an appropriate application of it. Like, uh, in for Jane's, uh, karma is actually a physical substance. So mm-hmm. your body and your soul are two different things, and souls move through organisms mm-hmm. throughout time and space, mm-hmm. right? So the same soul in in Jane thinking can be in a carrot, and then it can be in a rat, and then it can be in a cat, and then it can be in a human, and so what binds you to your physical form Mm -hmm. that binds your soul is karma and karma is bad it's inherently all bad there's no good karma it's all bad in jainism so the less karma you have the better the better because you can free your soul from the prison of your body so essentially salikana is basically kind of like uh, reversing the bad karma that you've accrued throughout your lifetime yeah more or less for that is that in in is that essentially to increase your chances of getting a better um, yes. life afterwards or yeah I mean so 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 the ultimate goal that you'd want to achieve that is not really assumed is going to be achieved but mm-hmm. is that you would sort of exit perfectly you would have this perfect nonviolent death mm-hmm. and you would your soul would then you know rise up to they call it moksha or like nirvana mm. like then you just exist in this sort of formless omniscient state mm-hmm. for all eternity but most jains accept that that's not going to be the reality of it that they they believe they'll just be reincarnated but if they 
if they if they practice this particular type of death, mm-hmm. then their chances of being reincarnated as something better than their current life form are higher. And so Jains are really, like the the principal vow in Jainism is is ahimsa, which A at the beginning of any word in Sanskrit is non, Mm -hmm. and then ahimsa is violence. So they believe in a life of non-violence. And so they believe by just not eating and drinking at the Mm -hmm. end of life, that's kind of your ultimate act of Mm non-violence. Because everything that you eat or drink has to be consumed and it takes effort to get that to you. Mm-hmm. So if you stop consuming resources, that's your kind of ultimate act of nonviolence. So that's really interesting because I remember um, last night I was watching the clip, the mm-hmm. National Geographic clip mm-hmm. with you in it, um, where they showed the video mm-hmm. of this old woman and mm-hmm. she was basically in the final moments of her life. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, texting Martha, and uh, that's my colleague, and I was like this is this was hard to watch you know it, there was nothing about it that struck me like nonviolent was not the first word sure, that came yeah. to mind so how is it that this is considered non i guess it's considered nonviolent to Towards the people others. To other, but not to yourself so how is it that they they reconcile the two? Yeah, so um, I think that's the point is it's nonviolent towards others. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily meant to be um, great for you per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- th- there's different there's different opinions on it. Like some people say that if you're going to die, mm-hmm. it's really the best way to go because if you just sort of wean yourself off of food and water, and you kind of get to the point where you've been away, you you've, you've you're not drinking water for like seven days typically. Mm-hmm. You go into renal failure, you pass away in renal failure, you just kind of get sleepy and you and you pass. Mm-hmm. That, that's one opinion. Other people have said, no, I mean, starvation is one of the worst ways to die and it's incredibly painful. Yeah. Um, I don't know, you know, and, and I, since I haven't done it myself, uh, I can't, I can't say. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I honestly can't say, yeah. I, but I don't know if it's better or worse than the way most people die in a hospital ICU. I don't know. I I don't know what's better or worse. But, I mean, there, I think watching, like, for example, like, Mataji in the documentary clip, like, watching an elderly woman do that is, you might go, oh, I don't want her to be in discomfort, but you don't necessarily question her decision as much. I think the general audience, you know, viewer isn't going to be like, why is she doing that? You're going to be like, okay, she's reached an age where she wants to do this and this is her belief. Mm-hmm. I think where Slakina gets tricky is that uh, young people will do it at times too. Mm. So the, there's a very, very famous case that I wrote about in my dissertation that I actually didn't research it originally. It's from a different uh, work of, of, um, of, of ethnography by Anne Vallely, but there's this, a very famous story of this nun named Kiran mm-hmm. in India and she was um, 21 and she took it because she said she was hearing voices. And I think to other people, and she would, she would have hear voices and she'd have violent outbursts mm-hmm. amongst the other nuns at the, con- at, it's not a convent, but they call it an ashram, but it's essentially like a, a, a communal living situation for women who become uh, Jane nuns. Mm-hmm. And um, she was having these violent outbursts. And so the community said to her, you should probably take Salekina because your life no longer, you, you cannot lead a nonviolent life. Oh, because of her violent hours. Yeah. So is that a thing that, that, that's done where the community suggests that? Isn't that usually it's, a personal decision that one has to come to? Yeah. I mean, ideally, that's why I think that's a controversial case, mm. is that ideally it should be 
your personal choice. I mean, Mm -hmm. because Jane philosophy is that everybody's on a single spiritual journey, right? Other people are not to really, you can learn from other people, but, Mm -hmm. but your journey is your, your your journey. And, um, and, but in her case, I guess the, the different members of the community had, and elders of the community had talked to her and said, you know, you're so miserable in this life, you're not going to get better. Your best option is to take the vow of Salekina, let your soul leave your body, move into something better. Right. And so she did. And I think it took her like 54 days to die. I mean, oh she did it very, gosh. very rapidly. So a young, healthy person dying that rapidly through starvation I mean, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. I mean, watching then an elderly person like Mataji in the documentary do it over, she did it over the course of nine years, right? That was a gradual, that was a gradual decrease. Like she literally started the first day she took the vows like that, she mm-hmm. ate one less grain of rice. And then the next day she oh, ate another, like right? Really, really like she, Yeah, cool. it was, and ideally it should be that incremental, mm. like so that you're not doing anything. There should be nothing extreme about the practice. Mm-hmm. But in, in, in Kieran's case, right, she did it very gradually and that was very upsetting to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so then in 2006, around the same time, a couple months after I first became aware that Salekina was even a thing, uh, just coincidentally, the uh the there was a complaint lodged a public interest litigation so basically a lawsuit mm-hmm. at the indian um high court level mm-hmm. basically accusing people who participate in salekana of committing suicide which is actually a crime against the constitution in india oh so in in the indian co- constitution suicide is a crime yes but the act or the practice of salekana is not well it wasn't considered to be but then um some human rights lawyers said well no it should be and in mm-hmm. you know a modern kind of democracy and india is the largest democracy on earth this should not still be allowed to be a practice, just like bride burning has been outlawed, mm-hmm. you know, or, or seti, where you would, you know, a widow would set herself on fire when her husband died. So Salekina has sort of been seen by certain kind of um, so-called progressives in India as kind of uh, a vestige of the old ways, you know, kind of an old superstitious practice that mm-hmm. doesn't really... That doesn't ju- have any place anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so there was this public li- uh, public interest litigation. So essentially it's a civil lawsuit mm-hmm. brought about by some human rights attorneys in India who were not Jane. And they said, this is abusive to the mentally ill and to the elderly because mm-hmm. you have an older woman or older man who, like you said you saw in the documentary, mm-hmm. going through the stages of dying of starvation, mm-hmm. and that's very you know painful and horrible to watch. And then in other cases, you maybe have a younger person that's got a psychiatric disorder yeah. who, rather than getting treatment for the psychiatric disorder, is then choosing to just exit this life to start over you know, with a reincarnation. And so it got filed, and so then I was really interested because I thought, well, this is fascinating because... This is a this is a five thousand year old practice that yeah. now for the first time is being challenged, and then the Jains countered and said, "No, this is a our freedom of religion, which is guaranteed, gar- excuse me, which is guaranteed by the Indian Constitution." And mm-hmm. the Jains uh, further said, uh, "It's also uh, not suicide because suicide again is an act of violence, and this is the ultimate statement of nonviolence." Mm-hmm because we are going out of our way to purposely not consume resources or harm other beings by but passing this way. Isn't that, at that point, just more so semantics? Like, because at the end of the day, suicide is taking your own life. Yeah, right? I, think the, I think then it, it requires, I think you're right, I think it requires more definition of what it, because you're right, like just the straight up, 
you know, etymological origin <laughs> of suicide is self-death, yes. right? I mean, you're self, self-killing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's true. You are, you are, you are initiating and bringing about your own death. Um, but I think the way Jane's view suicide as suicide, they feel that the Constitution is opposed to suicide in which someone takes their life in a state of sort of emotional distress. Mm. And they say that, that Salekina is literally the opposite of that. Salekina is you've made peace with it. You're good. Your life's come to an end. You say goodbye to your friends and family. You divest, mm-hmm. you divest yourself of all your financial assets and you go around, you actually, before you take Salekina, you actually have to go around and pol- you have to go around and apologize to anyone you think you've wronged oh, and wow. ask for forgiveness from anybody. And you literally have to close the books on all of your past drama. And then once you've, you've closed the book on all your past drama, you've given away your things, then you embark on this journey. So they say, look, it's completely the opposite of, of somebody who hangs themselves out of distress. Mm-hmm. This is just a person saying, look, I'm good. I'm ready to move on, and this is this is the the way I'm going to do it. Hmm. So did the did the Indian gov- uh, government eventually recognize or agree with them? That well, there's a difference between both. So that's funny. So I got really lucky because I did this as my dissertation, and then literally I submitted my dissertation, and within not no joke, within eight hours, I got a call from a lawyer in India because the high court had ruled on the case, and I'd actually written in my dissertation like based on how the Indian court system is so backlogged, like they're probably not going to get to this for years. <laughs> and then literally like eight, eight hours after I turned in my dissertation, they ruled and the, and the high court said wow. that Salekina was banned. You oh, could not wow. practice it. That it was in fact, um, it, was, it was outlawed. And so then I got a call from a lawyer who wanted to represent the appeal at the Supreme Court level mm-hmm. in India and said, can we use your dissertation to quickly, like could we cut and paste from your dissertation as the historical preamble essentially mm-hmm. to the case to explain what the historical mm-hmm. background was and then make the argument we can borrow from your dissertation to make the argument for why Salekina is not technically suicide that it's wow. and so I said of course right and so then I got an extension on my dissertation and then and turned it in later after there had been the appeal and I got to go in 2016 and participate wow. um, in that in that initial hearing uh, in Delhi to to look into the you know the process of appealing and it's still pending even to um, this yeah, day. Yeah, it's still, so we're here, f- you know, just shy. Yeah, no, it's actually actually just coming up on exactly four years. Wow. Um, and they're still, so in the meantime, it's while it's pending. Outlawed. No, no, they, they, they reversed the lower decision and said, well, we're still making up our mind. Oh, you can okay. continue to practice it, but pending, you know, our final decision. So, yeah, wow. so it can currently, it, it can, it can go on. And how, how did the Janes feel about the, the whole thing, the case and, just the whole legal process. How do they feel about um, having, or like seeming like it, they're having their religious freedoms like impinged upon uh, versus like, um, I don't know, I'll, I'll just let you explain that. Well, they're definitely not happy. You know, they're yeah. definitely not happy, but I think that um, their their take on it is that it's just simply a situation where if you understood Salekina, you wouldn't be opposed to it. Mm. Um, and that if you view it as, you know, a desperate person, starving themselves to death and it seems terrible but if you view it as this is a person who's come to terms with the fact that you know life is that your life in this body is finite Mm -hmm. but the soul is eternal 
and that you know once this you're not getting quote unquote any mi- more mileage out of this body mm-hmm. you know that then it's your chance to move on and it's sort of your ability also to to purge yourself of all the negative karma that you can before you move on to the next cycle it's interesting because when you see it that way it kind of makes sense I, I feel like um just thinking about it now it kind of seems like we are just imposing our own ideas of what um, suicide is and like what life mm-hmm. is and what life after death means but when you look at it from their perspective they're actually doing the right thing and it, oh, it makes for you, sure it makes you wonder like who who are we to you know decide how they mm-hmm. should practice their faith or yeah I mean I think that for for a Jane I mean I think the Jane response will frequently be how is this different than hospice care mm-hmm. right except we don't have meds Mm -hmm. they do it without meds but i think the average jane would go look how is this different than hospice care you check into a facility Mm -hmm. um you kind of withdraw you have a quiet place where you kind of stop eating you stop drinking and they just keep you you comfortable yeah and so so janes would argue we don't do it with meds but we're essentially you know it's it's how is it you know we're doing hospice care except ours is more deliberate like Mm -hmm. we're not you know we're not waiting and fighting to stay alive mm-hmm. we're we're kind of setting our own course and saying okay i'm 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 ready to exit this life and doing it you know on my on my schedule in a sense yeah. so where does the where does the moral principle of every human being having a right to life where does that fit into all of this where does it well so jane's actually um one of the other sayings uh it's it's a translation from the sanskrit but but it basically translates as live and let live mm. uh so jane's jane's uh, live by that creed right which is live and let live so um that is why they're also they're vegans right that you mm. you live and you let live because you don't take the life of something else just for your your own need for survival mm-hmm. now i mean obviously in jane thinking it's it would be it's very difficult to just live and let live because yeah. i have to eat dinner tonight and i've got to kill a carrot right to eat <laughs> at the very least feed. you know yeah and so um so that's the thing is that for jane's the principal vow is ahimsa nonviolence. Mm-hmm. but if you think about if you think about the jane philosophy there's no way to not be violent right yeah. because walking on the ground you're stepping on blades of grass and blades of grass have a soul you're walking uh and you're talking the sound of your voice reverberating through the air is violence towards the microbes we can't see (laughs) right drinking water is an act of violence there's no way to not be violent the only way to not be violent as a jane is to be dead Mm. and so the only way you can be non-violent is to stop consuming things and stop walking around and stop breathing yeah. And so that's why when it's when they feel that their life no longer kind of has a purpose and they're not becoming more spiritually enlightened and they're not growing and they're not achieving, then they go, okay, now I'm going to be as nonviolent as possible. And the consequence, so they're not trying to die. Mm-hmm. The consequence of being nonviolent is death, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how James will distinguish it. They'll say suicide, the goal of suicide is death. Is to die. We're not trying to die. We're just trying to be nonviolent. And unfortunately, being nonviolent means not consuming things and if you don't consume you die you die so that's how they distinguish that it's not suicide mm. wow that and it it actually kind of makes sense i mean if you come from a worldview or a point of view where you feel like you know this water bottle has a soul and mm-hmm. this thing has a soul and everything has a soul it almost makes sense that if you believe in that and you believe in karma then 
there has to be a way where you can like you know not be exploiting mm-hmm. the souls of everything else and like kind of balance that out yeah well, I have to throw something in there that's really interesting. And one of the things I found fascinating about Jane's early on is that, like I had mentioned, that that uh, the the gentleman whose birthday I went to that kind of got me introduced to Slake, and it was mm-hmm. it was a very over the top, beautiful, expensive affair. Mm-hmm. And the Janes that I was meeting in India were very, very wealthy. Mm-hmm. The reason, in part, that Janes are very, very wealthy is they almost completely have the monopoly on the diamond trade uh, in oh. India, because historically they did not take jobs that involved violence so farming was considered violent to the earth right Mm -hmm. cattle ranching is violent to animals Mm -hmm. you know so what they believe is that stones do not have souls so go back five thousand years they were stonemasons and they were really good at stone cutting and so they basically became jewelers over time and they became essentially their caste if you will within indian society Mm -hmm. took over stone masonry and then that went into precious gems and diamonds and so um so you know the big jewelry markets are pretty much all jane owned and like even now today the diamond markets in antwerp uh in belgium have were used to be hasidic jews and they're they're the majority are now jane owned um so where you see big populations of Janes are like in africa in large cities like in kenya Mm -hmm. and in south africa because of diamond trade which is also an interesting point, right? Because the diamond market has now become something that's very much associated with violence. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that's sort of an awkward yeah. kind of balance for Janes because they don't mind, they don't mine it. They cut but them. They, but they sell them. Yeah, they cut them and sell them, but the act of getting them is pretty darn violent, mm-hmm. right? And that's something that Janes have struggled with because their intention was quite good right Mm -hmm. we you know stones don't have souls they don't feel pain so we can cut stones whereas i don't want to cut an animal you know to eat it um but they have to balance kind of the fact that how do you how do you really be truly nonviolent? because you always you always create a ripple no matter what you do right that creates some sort of harm to some other being and so the only way in jane's opinion that you can stop creating those ripples of harm is to just just stop being all things Mm -hmm. wow so just going back to the uh, the legal proceedings and the case that's going on right now. So how I, I'm, I'm assuming that a big or two things that are opposing, I guess, in, in the case is, is like, um, you know, the right to life and every, you know, not killing yourself and taking your own life versus their religious freedom. So how do you think that that's going to play out? My assumption is that the Supreme Court will find in their favor. Um, and that's totally an assumption. I've got no inside information, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, I, but the reason I'm assuming that is I think there's a greater shift um, in, I'll just say, liberal democracies worldwide mm-hmm. towards trying to allow people sort of the freedom to kind of uh, decide their own death. I think historically, the reason we were so opposed to suicide historically, mm-hmm. and this is, I, I put this in my dissertation, um, I assumed that the reason that so many um, constitutions and governments that are based off British common law, like India, you know, is based off British common law. A lot of African nations are based off British common law. The U.S. is the same way. The prohibition against suicide, I assumed, stemmed from the fact that church and state used to be one. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a religious admonition. What I found when I started looking through the documentation is that the reason that suicide was outlawed was because technically 
you were subject to the crown. And if you were subject to the crown, technically you were the property of the king or the monarch. Therefore, if you committed suicide, you were depriving the king of the right to tax you and put you in the army and the service that you could render the country. So your wow. death was in essence robbing the king of his property. Wow. It wasn't a religious admonition. So I think in liberal democracies today where we don't really necessarily see a person as a financial asset, you know, like our army's strength is not based on how many people we have. It's based on our technology, right? Mm -hmm. Our country's wealth is not based on the number of people we have. It's based on our sort of natural resources. But historically, when the strength of your country was how many bodies did you have, uh, it made sense that that would be a crime. You know, if you if you deprived the king mm-hmm. of your person, you were taking a resource away. But now, I mean, I think the the thought process is actually quite different. I mean, now, I mean, and I don't want this to sound harsh, but a person who's ill or older or at a point in life where they're not functional for some reason, then gradually decreasing their consumption and leaving mm-hmm. this life isn't really robbing. Yeah. Yeah. So technically in that sense, it's not suicide. Yeah. And I think also just from the standpoint of, you know, liberal democracies also have much more emphasis now on on personal choice, Mm -hmm. obviously, than historically, you know, governments have had. And so my hunch Mm -hmm. is that the Supreme Court will rule in favor of the continuation of Mm Salekina. But, you know, I'm I'm always open to being surprised. I mean, I, you know, who knows? Yeah. So it kind of seems to me that like... um, it almost becomes uh, not a battle, but a kind of like tug between which one is more important, religious mm-hmm. freedom or asserting that everybody has to live whether they want to or not. Yeah. So just to kind of switch topics a mm-hmm. little bit, are there instances where this practice of salikana is abused? Because I can see, I feel like the line is so thin. Mm-hmm. It could be... Or, or for instance, in our Western society, if someone decided, let's say they found out something that was really stressful or some kind of maybe not terminal illness, but just something really depressing, and they're like, "This is really bad. I am going to, you know, just stop doing everything mm-hmm. and let myself die." Where do you, where where do they, where do you draw the line? Because I feel like if I, let's say I was a Jane mm-hmm. and I had something really distressing and I just decided, you know, I don't want to live anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna stop. I feel like it's kind of yeah. it's just very it's just a very thin line between I'm committing suicide because I'm sick of my life versus yeah. I'm doing this out of like my religious or faith belief. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I surely and I always have to I have to always clarify this for people. I am certainly not an advocate of salakana. You know, I mean, I think it's it's a fascinating practice, and and I'm very much in favor of people people experiencing the death that is appropriate to their belief system. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like you should, I feel like every person deserves to die a, to experience a death that is in keeping with what they believe is the right way to die. You know, one case that I, I read about um, when I was doing the research, and I, I went through hundreds of cases of Salekina, mm-hmm. um, was, for example, a woman who 
uh, was raped and then felt that, well, her life no longer sort of had meaning Mm. because she was not going to be eligible for marriage. Mm. Um, She was not going to be able to be economically viable on her own because she didn't have any education. Mm. She didn't feel comfortable becoming a nun at that point. She felt that she was not pure enough to take the the vow to become a nun. So at that point, her options seemed so limited that she felt that the appropriate thing to do was to, yeah, and then start over. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that's troublesome to me because I yes. would not want somebody to think that um, from a purely objective standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, I would not want anyone to ever think that because something was done to them mm-hmm. that they now no longer have meaning or value. Yeah. But I think that's just the, I think that's the, the, the complication of Salekana is that you take Salekana when you feel your life no longer has sort of meaning and purpose. Mm-hmm. And that is so subjective. Yes. Yeah. Because no one can tell you when your life starts or stops being worth living and I guess at that point yeah that's just it's just really hard because at that point it's in my mind it's pretty much just suicide it's difficult I mean I I I think about this uh I I think about this occasionally um I live with my 95 year old aunt Mm -hmm. and my 95 year old aunt is very functional but she has macular degeneration her her hearing is going Mm -hmm. um you know she's got a lot of um how do I put this? Her body is declining, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just... As, she's, as it should. With yeah, age. exactly. And I think to myself, though, that I so enjoy, like, her presence mm. and the wisdom that she has and, and her being around other people is such a joy and, and such a, like, kind of uh, lesson, you know? It's mm. like, she, she's it, it's really fantastic to have a 95-year-old in your life <laughs> because... It's really fantastic to get perspective from someone who's got nine and a half decades to yes, go, yes. this too shall pass, right? And, and I think I would hate to think that 20 years ago she would have thought, well, my body's yeah, starting yeah. to decline. I'm not of use anymore, so let me let me exit this. Yeah. I, you know, I, so, but then I will say this for Salekana, mm-hmm. um, it's supposed to be your choice. Mm. I think what... The concern is, though, with Salekana is that in an ideal world, a 95-year-old might say, you know what? I still have I still have value, right? I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still contributing. I still want to stick around. Um, but the reality that is suggested, and I don't know this. I can't say this uh, with certainty, but what has been put forth by the lawyers who are filing, who have filed the case against Salekana have said that Salekana is an easy way for people to basically tell elders, it's, it's time for time you to for go. You go. Yeah, yeah, your time is up. Yeah, and yeah. that there's a sort of peer pressure that like, come on, you know, yeah. like we don't want to have to take care of you. It's not really, you know, it's not cool anymore. Um, why don't you go ahead and do this? Yeah. So and I don't know because I, I feel like that is such a, um, oh, that is, that is such, that is so unique to each situation. I knew a woman uh, who contacted me after she had seen the documentary I had done with National Geographic mm-hmm. named Bhagwati Gada, who was a physician in Lubbock, Texas. She was a Jane woman. She'd immigrated from India to Texas back in the 70s, mm-hmm. and she had stage 4 colon cancer. And she said, I've done chemo, I've done radiation, I've raised three kids, I've, I feel like I've had a good life, and I'm just ready to not do any more medical intervention. I'm ready to take Salekana. And to me, after I talked to her, I felt like... I mean, this this to me felt like just hospice care, right? She's yeah. essentially choosing hospice care minus medication. Yeah. 
And and to me, it felt like a very kind of, I, I don't know if this is the appropriate word, noble. Like, it felt mm-hmm. like it's a noble end to a very well-lived life. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I know she was in a, um, she was in a hospice care facility, mm-hmm. but kept refusing drugs. And the concern was, well, could she really make that decision because, you know, she was in so much pain. Could she still really be committing to this? But ultimately, it's her decision. But it's make. her decision, right? And and I would say in in Bhagwati's case, like that was a a good death, right? And mm-hmm. I know it's really hard to qualify, but that was yeah. a good death. Um, she she made the decision. She was supported in the decision by her family, and 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 she did it in Texas, which she wasn't even sure she could do. Mm-hmm. But she, at the time, uh, it was outlawed in India, so she didn't want to go back to India to do it. Um, and she said, "I want to, you know, I want to do it, and I want to, I want to, I want to do it with her family, yeah, yeah, in the places she's familiar." Yeah, but I don't think I would compare her choice to take Salekina to, for example, the twenty-one-year-old, yeah, right, They're who's not hearing the same. voices. It, and I think that's the difficulty with Salekina is yeah. that I, I don't think you know, um, any two cases are alike, actually. That's true. And it also brings up the question, so does having a right to life also um, include having the right to die, yeah. to choose to not live? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a personal bias, and I'm very sort of libertarian mm-hmm. uh, in, in my beliefs when it comes to end of life, is that I, I think that um, we should have a say in, in, in how we exit. Yeah. I mean, I think to a certain extent, we can't have a say from the standpoint of when you reach a certain point of disability, obviously other people have to care for you, mm-hmm. and you can't demand that which you cannot do for yourself, right? Yeah. You can't, you know, if, if, if you have a family that's willing to accommodate you, awesome. But we, you know, I, I think there are limits to what we can demand. Yeah. But I think if we have a desire, like in the case of like Bhagwati mm-hmm. um, or Dr. Gata, like if you have a desire to say, look, I. I did my chemo, I did my radiation, I feel that I've reached a point in my life where I don't want to do any more medical intervention, mm-hmm. I want to say goodbye, I want to contact everyone that I ever knew mm-hmm. and apologize to them for anything I did wrong and then thank anyone I ever knew for what they did that was right for me mm-hmm. and I want to just leave life on a nonviolent trajectory. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I think that's as noble a death as you can, as you can achieve. Yeah. I would, I would say that I agree, too. And I guess for me, the case of Dr. Gata, the question it brings up in my mind is I have pretty limited knowledge of U.S. law, but I don't know that that's a thing that's legal here. So would you say that that's allowed for Well, so but it's interesting you ask that because Bagwai asked me the same question, and I'm not a lawyer. You know, I, I have to be real clear about that. I'm a bioethicist. But I, the answer is it's not entirely clear from the standpoint of no one has taken a Salekina case to trial and we are a precedent-based legal system Mm -hmm. and since nobody has tried it out by default it is legal legal. however what could support the fact that it is legal Mm -hmm. uh, is there was a case actually here in the Inland Empire um, Mm -hmm. back in the uh, early 90s uh, a woman named um, Elizabeth Bouvia. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Bouvia was a uh, woman who had cerebral palsy and rheumatoid arthritis and uh, had a really difficult life. And sort of after she had miscarried and her husband had left and her parents said they could no longer care for her and she needed to move into an assisted living situation, she said, enough, I don't want to live anymore. 
And so she checked herself into a hospital in Riverside mm-hmm. and said, I just want to be allowed to not eat and not drink because that is the only means by which I can end my life. Mm-hmm. Because she said, I can't shoot myself. Yeah. I can't I can't starve myself. I mean, I'm sorry. She could starve herself. She said, I can't shoot myself. I can't swallow a handful of pills. I don't have the use of my hands to do those things for myself. Mm-hmm. But I, I can just abstain from food and drink. And so she said she wanted to do that. However, the attending in psychology at the or psychology, excuse me, the the psych yeah the psychiatric attending uh, physician at the time said absolutely not. I and got a fifty one fifty hold on her um, for you know for psychiatric yeah. evaluation, and then they force fed her with an, an NG tube, and then she took it to the ACLU. The ACLU represented her. Long story short, it went to court, and the uh, the Ninth District Court of Appeals, which would be one level below the Supreme Court here, okay. uh, here in California, um, said, you know, it's not the job of the state to impose life on people that don't want it. Yes. And so basically, Elizabeth Bouvier at that point got the right to just withdraw her feeding tube, mm-hmm. even though she was not terminally ill. Um, however, she chose to live because... Um, Apparently, sort of in that victory in court, so I'm told, you know, mm-hmm. she sort of felt like, maybe I do have a purpose, you wow. know, I, I've, I've, I've started this discussion and I'm going to continue this discussion. And so she continued to live. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so because of that ruling at the ninth, uh, at the, at the ninth Circuit Court of Appeals level, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, that, that appellate decision which says you can, in fact, choose to withdraw nutrition and hydration, even yeah. if, you know, you are not terminal. Um, I think you could, in fact, so engage in Salekana. I think, you know, I yeah. think. I mean, it's it's a little bit trying to, Blurry. you know, yeah, yeah. But but I think most legal scholars would probably say you're you're okay because of that previous ruling. Mm-hmm. And in Bagwadi's case, she actually was terminal. Mm-hmm. You know, she was in yeah. stage four colon cancer, so um, she was terminal, and then choosing to essentially go on hospice care just without meds. Yeah. And so that would be a very hard challenge to make. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, that even outside of the Jane faith, this is a thing that's, it's kind of still makes sense. Well, it's funny um, how many people have, have read, I mean, not a lot of people read dissertations, but like, <laughs> you know, people have read excerpts of stuff that I've written, or they saw that they saw the documentary. Mm-hmm. And so I've given actually quite a few talks to groups of people who are not from any religious denomination. Mm-hmm. They're people who say, hey, I'm a secular humanist, or I'm, um, you know, I'm nominally Christian, but I, you know, I'm just curious about this as an end of life option. And so it's interesting that there's, there's quite a few people, and I wrote an article for a magazine called Natural Transitions that Mm. uh, just focuses on people who want to, like, have an eco-friendly death. And so a lot of people who are like, yeah, like, yeah. So so I've actually talked to quite a few people who have said that they want to take Salekana, Mm -hmm. And then, because well, they want to do it because specifically it's an eco-friendly death. They wanna, they don't want to go out in a hospital bed where they're using wasting up resources. Yeah, well, not wasting, but using them up. Yeah. Well, or or what what a lot of people have said is that the amount of medical waste associated with yeah. end of life care is actually pretty phenomenal, you know. And so they don't want to contribute that to the environment. They don't want the plastic waste from mm. IV lines, and yeah. you know. They don't want the contamination of their body in the soil mm-hmm. after their body's been pumped with chemo. Uh, and so they want to just do the sort of natural exit. Wow. Um, and so I had one woman, I remember she told me that she was planning to take Salekana, um, 
you know, basically a, a secular Salakina. Like it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily a <laughs> yeah. spiritual reason for her um, in line with Jainism, but she was like, I, I do philosophically believe in a nonviolent, eco-friendly exit. Mm-hmm. So she was going to take Salakina and then she wanted to have her body um, buried in one of those tree pods. I don't know if you've seen those, no. but it's like where they encase your body. There's a company that does it. They encase your body like in soil with seeds and then you bury your body with all these seeds. And oh, then so basically it's feeding the soil that's feeding the tree. Yeah. And contributing to the ecosystem yeah. essentially. So oh. you're, so you're returned to nature in, in an eco-friendly way. And so that was what her plan was. She wasn't terminal. She mm-hmm. was just, you know, curious about this as a path for herself. And that's what she told me she was going to do. Uh, one time wow. after a talk I gave. <laughs> wow, that's so. That's just so interesting. Um, I guess just finally to wrap up, uh, I just want to know. So, what is your own personal thought on this whole issue? Yeah, topic? I mean, I'm I'm very attracted to the notion of an eco-friendly death. I, I really am. Um, and so. I guess I, I'm torn because I am very averse to pain, right? So I so part of me is like bring on the morphine, right? Um, but I but I'm very intrigued, you know, by by this notion of of exiting life in a manner that doesn't create Cause more harm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so um, so so for me, I mean, I think that there is there is um, kind of a beauty in in a, in a in the world that we live in, where there's these, you know, these are these constant kind of headlines in the news saying we got seven years until we're irreparably, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were irreparably, yeah. we're irreparably damaging the planet, and we're faced with, you know, a certain doom or whatever. Yeah. I kind of think, like, as a person who I'm a vegetarian myself, mm-hmm. I aspire to be a vegan. I haven't quite gotten there because I love cheese, <laughs> you know. But like, you know, I, I, I would like to do things that yeah. that make the world a better place. And so, so if I could. If I could end my life in a manner where I knew it was coming, I mean, obviously we, we don't know, but, yeah. but I, I think if I could end my life and I could go, you know what, Hazel, I really did you wrong back, you know, in 1992, you were just born and I kicked your crib or something. I don't know. But like, you know, like, I think that's a nice way. I think that's a, that's yeah. a very nice kind of philosophy to go around, apologize to everybody that you wronged, thank everyone who did you right, give away your money and then say, look, I'm going to go to this quiet place and I want you to just kind of keep me comfortable. I don't want meds. I don't want to consume anything. And I just kind of want to fade into nature. Mm -hmm. I I think that's a kind of a cool way to go. No, you're right. There's, there's certainly a, there's something just kind of, that sounds really peaceful about Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. That can't be denied. Um, thank you so much, yeah, Dr. Ron, for joining us today uh, on the podcast, and we will catch you on our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us on a scholarly meeting. Uh, we hope that you tune in to our next episode. This month is uh, Women's Month, whoop, whoop. <laughs> and so we will be having also another amazing woman joining us on the podcast uh, next episode, so we hope you tune in. 